Friends, it is an awesome thing to realize that God's people in the new covenant are God's temple, God's sanctuary, that we don't come to church, to the buildings and the bricks, that we come to church, to the people who are the church. Praise be to God, friends. It is only the grace of God through His Spirit that He actually makes us to be that sanctuary, to be that temple. So that this song that we've just sang, even though originally in its intent was to, to be in the, or orient towards us as individuals, Lord, prepare me. There's also a right way to sing that, Lord, prepare us. We together are a sanctuary. Friends, it is so good to be together as God's temple gathered this morning, this last Sunday of 2015. It is hard for me to imagine and to realize that this year that we have begun just 12 months ago um, is already done and finished. Would you open Scripture as we, as we look at God's Word for one last time together in this year um, to Luke chapter 1, and I'll be reading from verse 57 to, 50, to 79. Luke chapter 1, verse 57 through 79. For those of you who did not bring a Bible this morning, you may find this passage in the, in the Bible provided in front of you on page number 856. And by the way, if you do not own a Bible, uh, or if you don't, do not have an ESV Bible, the one that we use in our sanctuary, you're welcome to take one of the pew Bibles home with you. It is yours to take. We'd love for you to have it. And here's the word of the Lord for us this morning. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise a child, and they would have him called Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about throughout, through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before Him 
all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. Would you bow your heads with me and pray? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have revealed it to us. Now, Father, we thank you that you give us a privilege to sit together, to have it read and have it proclaimed. Oh, Father, would you speak to our hearts this morning in such a way that your word, that your truth will guide us in the way of peace, that your truth will will be a light to those who still sit in darkness. Father, we pray that your truth might touch our hearts. In the name of Christ, we pray. And through the power of your Holy Spirit, amen. Well, friends, for the last three weeks, we have been taking a quick uh, detour, a quick pause from our uh, sermon series in the book of Ecclesiastes. We have uh, spent a few Sundays in the book of Luke. And for the last three weeks, we confined ourselves just to chapter 1 of, of Luke. Three weeks ago, we looked at how God prepared for the birth of Christ, for, for announcing the, the, the birth. And it was not just one birth, but two births. There are two special births that are revealed to us in, in the Gospel of Luke. Then last week, we looked at the appropriate reactions to the birth of Christ. And today, I would like for us to look at why God saves His people. Why God saves His people. There will be a very long introduction to four very short points this morning. A very long introduction to, to four very short points of why God is saving His people. I'm going to remind you where, what's going on in chapter 1 of Luke. Uh, this chapter is filled with significant prayers of praise. The first one is a prayer of Mary. Uh, when she praised God for what God was going to do through the birth um, of Christ. And today we will look at another prayer of praise, the praise of Zechariah. Amazingly, Zechariah praised God not so much for giving him a son, John. Zechariah praised God for what God was going to do through Christ. Now, the fact that Zechariah is able to praise God at this point in Luke is a miracle. Remember why? 10, 11 months ago, from this point, Zechariah was silent, was, was made mute, silenced by God because he failed to believe the word of the Lord through his angel. And that chastisement was also a sign to encourage Zechariah that what God promised to do, he will do. So eight days ago from this time, Elizabeth gave birth to a baby in Zechariah's home. And eight days later now, 
the, the family goes to circumcise a child and they are supposed to pick out a name. And it is on the occasion of finding this name, of dialoguing and figuring out what the name should be, that Zechariah is asked what the name should be. Uh, he was not only silenced, he was also uh, made deaf because the people could not talk to him except through signs. So it was not only a, a silencing of his mouth, it was a, apparently a silencing of his ears as well. So the family gives him a tablet, and by that they did not mean an iPod or an iPad, uh, an actual physical tablet. And, and, and Zechariah writes a name of this child, and his name indeed will be John. And then verse 64 says, And immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loosed, and he spoke. And what did he speak? Spoke a blessing towards God. Blessing God. Yes, Zechariah was mute for about 10 months, unable to speak because of his lack of faith. But now God opened his mouth. And not only that, but God also filled him with the Holy Spirit. So that what was coming out of his mouth was actually a prophetic word. Look at, look at verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Oh, friends, this prayer of praise was not just a usual prayer of praise. It was a prophetic praise. It had prophetic message in it. In other words, Zechariah is telling us what God was going to do through, not only through John the Baptist, but through his son, Jesus. We will see the reference to Jesus later at the end of this prayer when Zechariah makes reference to the sunrise that shall come upon us from on high. That's referring to Jesus. As we listen intently to this prayer of praise, to this prophetic word, friends, let's, let's listen carefully. What is the Spirit intending to instruct us about what God was doing? And this instruction is in the framework of praise. Praise for what God is going to do. Let's see how God describes the actions of God. The first thing that, that Zechariah says, and this is, the, this is the long introduction. What I said so far was the introduction to the introduction. And this is the, the long introduction. Here's what, God, what Zechariah praises God for. Here's point one. God is visiting His people. But God has visited His people. In our culture today, we don't do uh, much visiting among us. We're trying to work hard in encouraging our members to open up their homes, to visit one another, uh, to live life on life together, whether it's on, with, through home groups or just people visiting one another for meals. We want to do visiting of one another because in our culture today, this concept of, of community is just is lacking. So whenever we see even people visiting one another, it's a big deal in our culture. Generations before us didn't have this problem in our individualistic culture today, perhaps in our busy culture today, in our culture where people live so far away with, with schedules being so crowded, it's a big deal to just be able to, to visit one another. Well, friends, can you imagine for someone to say that God is visiting His people? God is visiting His people. 
God's people needed God's visitation. Zechariah came to realize through the announcement of the two miraculous births that God was about to do something great. And he describes it as God visiting his people. Now, why is God visiting his people? Look at verse 68. Blessed be the Lord, God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. For the past 400 years, prior to this point in Luke's gospel, God had been silent. He had neither spoken nor revealed himself to his people since the prophet Malachi. Now, Zechariah utters this amazing break of silence on God's part. God was coming to visit his people. But for what purpose? For the purpose of redeeming them. Zechariah is so emphatic on this purpose of redemption that he mentions it uh, three more times, and actually one more time later when he speaks about his son. So four more times total about this purpose of, of salvation or redemption. Look at verse 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. The picture of a horn in the Old Testament was a picture of power. To have the horn may, meant you have the power. Here, Zechariah is speaking about the horn of salvation, the power to execute salvation. Now, who has that power? In Psalm 18, we see this phrase, the horn of salvation, used by David to refer to God. He, David says, listen to Psalm 18, a beautiful psalm. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Psalm 18. Zechariah attributes this quality of God from the Old Testament this phrase of the horn of salvation to the one who was about to be the horn of salvation in the house of David. To Christ. It is through his birth that God has raised the horn of salvation among us, among the flesh. The theme of salvation continues in Zechariah's praise. Look at verse 71. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Sounds like it goes back to Psalm 18. Just as in Psalm 18, David associated God's salvation with a real rescue from enemies, here Zechariah sees God's salvation as a rescue from all those who hate God's people. And again, for the fourth time in this text, we see another reference to the idea of, of being rescued. Verse 74, that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies? Friends, do you see why God is visiting his people in this passage? He does it to redeem. He does it to raise a horn of salvation for them. He does it to save his people. He does it to deliver them 
Friend, I wonder if you associate God's visit with a purpose of redemption, with a purpose of rescuing, with a purpose of setting his people free. Remember the story of, of Zacchaeus? It's the only story. Actually, Luke is the only one who gives it to us. And as I was meditating on the story, to my superficial radar looking around all the Gospels, this seems to be the only story, if, I'm, if I remember correctly, where Jesus invites himself over someone's house. Here's Jesus walking around on, on, a, on, a, on a path. Zacchaeus is in a tree looking to see Jesus, hoping to, to just glance him and see him with his eyes. And Jesus stops when he gets by the tree. He looks up to Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, I want to visit you today. I want to come over. Luke is the only one who gives us a story of Jesus wanting to visit Zacchaeus. So they go. And you, you know the rest of the story. At the end of the day, Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and says something absolutely amazing. He says, Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Jesus had visited Zacchaeus. For what purpose? To redeem. To save. Oh, friends, if we could understand this association that when God visits his people, he desires to rescue them, to set them free. Oh, how many households there are even today who need the visitation of God, who need the visit of the Lord Jesus. Oh, how many lives there are even today in our own families, members of our own families, who need the visit of God in their own lives. Friends, when God visits us, His first and ultimate plan is to redeem us. There are many people today who, who want God's visit in their lives, but don't care for His redemption. They want God's other blessings, other goodies. They want God to give them success or blessing or a good life. They don't care as much for His redemption. Friends, God desires in visiting His people to set them free, to redeem them, to rescue them. Friends, does this truth excite you? Does this truth excite you? God's plan to save us was not only from physical enemies. As a matter of fact, before God could save us from our physical enemies. Notice what Zechariah says about the salvation of God when he describes his son in verse 77. Zechariah describes the mission of his son, of John. And he says that he will go before the Lord to prepare his way and listen what entails, what is involved in preparing the way before the Lord. Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. And what is this knowledge of salvation about? It's a salvation in the forgiveness of their sins. Yes, there were physical enemies in the land. Yes, the nation of Israel was waiting for the time when God indeed will, will take away the enemies. But friends, before the physical enemies could be removed, before God could fully accomplish this physical freedom, this physical rescue, another rescue had to take place. And that's a rescue and the freedom from our sins. 
And that is why the salvation that, that, that Zechariah speaks about, before he speaks, I mean, he speaks about salvation from enemies, but then the preparation for that, that his son will do, is a salvation or a knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist was sent before the Lord so he could teach the people of God about, about the salvation that they needed. Not just from their enemies, but also from their sins. As a matter of fact, before we can experience the salvation from our physical enemies, we must experience the salvation from our sin. Only when sin is dealt with, only when its power is broken, only when its presence is eradicated can the enemies of God be ultimately put away. Friends, the prayer of Zechariah has not yet been fulfilled as of now. The enemies of God are still around us. The enemies of God's people are still around us. 2,000 years later, we can still pray for God to save us from our enemies. But God had prepared a way for sin to be dealt with. And our sin must be dealt with. Oh, friends, the power of sin has been broken. The guilt of sin has been put away because the penalty of sin has been paid for by Christ. But the presence of sin has not been eradicated. And therefore, the presence of enemies are still with us today. One day will come in the second coming of Christ when God will take away the presence of sin from this creation. And when the presence of sin will be taken away, all of God's enemies will also be put away. Do you see how that works? Zechariah started yearning for God's salvation, and in, in his mind, he was thinking just about the physical enemies. But he realizes prophetically that sin must first be dealt with. It is when sin will be put away with, totally eradicated from this creation, that truly God's people will enjoy a new creation in which no enemies of God will be present. All will be judged by God. Friends, this is a, the purpose of God's visit, to redeem, to provide a horn of salvation, to save, to deliver, to give knowledge of salvation to His own people, and to prepare them for the knowledge of salvation in the forgiveness of their sins. Friends, all that was a long introduction. This is why God is visiting His people to redeem them, to save them. But here's another question. Why is God doing that? Why is God visiting in the first place in order to redeem them? Why doesn't He just leave us to our own? Why doesn't he leave us in our bondage? Why doesn't he leave us to just live our life the way we are? Why does he come to visit us in order to save us? There's a number of, questions, a number of answers to this question. Some might say, well, because he loves us. And that is very true. But Zechariah will give us four reasons why God saves his people. Why God comes to save his people. Four reasons why we see it. And here's, here's the first reason why God saved His people, to show His mercy and remember His covenant. To show His mercy and remember His covenant. Look at verse 72. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham. Why is God acting this rescue operation? 
because of his mercy. Not because we are good. Not because God finds us worthy. Not because God says, look at this guy, or look at this woman, look at how good they are. They really deserve to be saved. They really deserve to be rescued. No, friends, no. He does this rescue operation totally out of his mercy. But notice that his mercy is, a, it is an interesting kind of mercy. He promised this mercy. And he actually made a covenant about his mercy. He actually took an oath that he will show this mercy. Now, why did God show this oath? Why did God make a covenant of mercy? He did it with Abraham. Did, did, did God need, to, need that remind, reminder to remind himself, like I put reminders in my iPhone, hey, don't forget to do this on this day? Is that the kind of oath? Is that the kind of remembrance that God needed? This, is there remembrance for God? Oh, no, friends. It's for us so that we might never forget or distrust or fail to believe that God is a God committed to show mercy to his people. Remember in Psalm 106 how the people of God have forgotten God's miraculous acts over and over again? And even though God saved them and showed his mercy, they continued to forget and wander away from God? Here we have a picture of God who not only promised to, to be merciful, but he made a commitment and a covenant and an oath to assure us that he is committed to this mercy. Oh, friends, God acts out of this rescue plan because he had made a promise. He will not break his covenant. Man breaks his promises. All kinds of promises. Even the promise of marriage we break, sadly, because of sin. God does not break his covenant. God remains faithful to him. Yes, he may not act on our timing. He may not act on our schedule. He may not act when we want him to do it. But friends, be certain of this. God is committed to show his mercy. And in Christ, he acts to show that indeed he fulfills his covenant. A second reason why God is saving us, why God is visiting to save us, us, he's visiting and saving us to enable us to serve him, to enable us to serve him. Look at verse 74, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him. Why is God saving us? Why does God want to save you? So that you could serve him. So that we could serve him. And why is this a big deal? When the service is oriented towards God, oftentimes the Bible translates it, translates it as worship. So that worship is everything we do in the service of God. And why is this a big deal? Because today we've gotten used to a very distorted impression about why God is saving people. It's distorted not because it's not true. It's distorted because it's incomplete. And what am I talking about? We think that God is saving people simply so they won't go to hell. Or simply that they would go to heaven when they die. Sometimes we, we preach the gospel as if we're just selling people fire insurance. But 
And while, that, while it's true that God saves us from hell and saves us to eternal presence with Him in heaven, while that is true, if that is only what we talk about, the gospel, it is incomplete. Because God saves us not only from hell. God saves us not only to take us to heaven when we die. God saves us so we may serve Him with our lives here and now. Friend, I wonder if the gospel you believe is only a fire insurance from hell. I wonder if you realize that when God saves His people, He saves them so they could serve Him out of love, out of gratitude for His mercy. God's people are freed from loving themselves and serving themselves to serve God. Friends, this pattern was seen in the Exodus story. When God redeemed Israel from Egypt, God didn't rescue them so they could just be free citizens wandering around the earth on their own. No, God said, I want to rescue and redeem you so you can worship me. It is a rescue and a redemption that is geared towards reorienting and enabling God's people to serve God. That's why Zechariah describes the service of God in, in three ways. He says, to serve God without fear. Without fear. To serve God without fear. Oh, friends, this is not talking just about the fear of persecution, although that is totally true. There's so many other fears that we could have even in a free society. How about the fear of man? How about the fear of, of not saying something religious to your coworkers for the fear of, of being thought of as overly religious or fanatic or somehow just being, being ostracized or put to the side? How about the fear of, of speaking the truth even when it's difficult? How about the fear of serving the Lord because we're afraid for our lives? Right? There's all kinds of fears even today. Zechariah says, God is saving us so that we could serve Him without fear. Why is God, why is God sa saving us? So we could serve Him in holiness and righteousness. Friends, do you realize that when God saves us, He saves us so we could be holy and righteous? He saves us not simply so we could go to heaven. He saves us so we could desire and love holiness and righteousness even here on earth. Friends, an unregenerate heart may respond to Christ out of fear of hell and still be unregenerate. One of the signs of regeneration is that God puts in us a new heart who yearns for the righteousness of God. It's not just a heart that escapes the flames of hell. It's a heart that yearns for the righteousness of God. I love what uh, Carl several years ago told us. God prepares us in, in some of our deacon meetings. God prepares us here on earth to be able to enjoy heaven. See, when God saves us, He doesn't just save us and sort of lets us continue to to be committed to and enjoy our sin and our, our, our life of rebellion. God is saving us. And in the rest of our life, remaining life, He wants us to prepare ourselves to love the things that we're going to expect in heaven. 
That's why our service to God is a service in holiness and righteousness. Oh, dear friend, do you realize that God's rescue plan has its purpose to get us to serve Him? And by the way, it's not just a one-time service. Notice Zechariah says, all our days. All our days. That's the kind of service for which God liberates us. That's the kind of service for which God frees us, that we would serve Him without fear, that we would serve Him in holiness and righteousness, that we would serve Him until we die all our days. Oh, friend, there's two more reasons why God saves us. There's two more reasons why God came to redeem us. Here's a, the, the third reason to give us light. We see it in verse 79 when, when Zechariah goes back to speak about, about the sunrise that shall, shall come upon us from on high, speaking not about John the Baptist, but about Christ. Why is a sunrise coming down from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death? Oh, friends, to give light, to rescue us from the shadow of death. That's why God is saving us. But there's a fourth reason, and here's a fourth one. I told you these things will be short. Here's a fourth one, to give guidance into the way of peace. Look at verse 79, to guide our feet into the way of peace. In the book of Isaiah, God often accuses people for their evil and their corruption. In Isaiah 59, 8, God's accusation comes in this way. The way of peace they do not know. Wow. Old Testament. The people of Israel. The way of peace they do not know. Here's Zechariah saying, The sunrise shall come upon us from our high to guide us into the way of peace. Why? Because we don't know it. And he's talking about Israel. He's talking about the people who had the law of God. They still did not know the peace of God, the way of peace. Christ had to come from on high to show us the way of peace. But 19 chapters later, Jesus was walking towards Jerusalem. And in Luke chapter 19, we read that when he drew near and saw the city, Jesus wept over it, saying, Would you, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace? But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon one another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. God has come to visit His people to bring salvation, to show His mercy, to show His covenant, to enable them to serve Him without fear, in holiness, in righteousness all their days, so that they could see the light and come out of darkness, so they could be guided in the way of peace. But 33 years later, Jesus speaks about His people, that they have not 
known the time of God's visit. And therefore, they have not known the way of peace. Oh, friend, I wonder. I wonder if you have known the time of God's visitation. I wonder if you have experienced God's visitation in your life. If you have not, oh friend, do not let this year come to an end. Do not let this day come to an end. Do not let this service come to an end until you call upon the name of the Lord to save you. Until you ask of God and say, God, would you visit me? Would you come into my heart? Would you come and and free me, set me free from my enemies, the greatest of each of which is sin and death. Oh, friend, if that is your heart's desire, I would love to talk to you at the end of the service. Friends, for those of us who have seen God's visitation, for those of us who have experienced God's visitation in our own hearts and lives, oh, friend, go and talk about it. Go and talk about what God's visitation does. When he comes to us, speak of it, boast in it, praise God for it. Just as Zechariah's mouth experienced a miraculous uh, breaking of the silence, for some of us, God might need to do a breaking of silence, not of words, but of the silence of speaking of God's visitation. The, that silence that, that, that is in us because of the fear of man. That silence that keeps us suppressed from talking about the ways of God. Oh, friends, I pray that God's visitation would free us of the fear of man so that we may talk and we may praise God freely with zeal, with boldness, with courage, with confidence, so that indeed the people of God may know the ways of God, may know God's visit among us. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we pray, we ask that you would protect us from being the people that Jesus spoke to when when he said to them that they did not know the time of of his visitation. Almighty God, we pray that you would show your mercies upon us. Awaken our consciences. Awaken the conscience of those who are still in darkness and in the shadow of death. Oh, Lord, help us to see Help us to recognize the day of your visitation. Father, as a church, help us to be in tune with your visitation. Help us to to yearn for more of your presence among us. Oh, Almighty God, we praise you. As we conclude this year, we pray that you would visit with us in in the next year, in the 2016, that your people, whenever they gather in this place, we would always yearn and desire and boast in your presence among us. For your presence among us saves. Your presence among us rescues. Your presence among us sets us free. Oh, Lord, help us walk in that freedom. Help us walk in the joy of your salvation. Help us walk in the way of peace that your Son Christ brings to us. Help your people be a beacon of peace. Oh, Lord, we pray in the name of Christ. Amen.